0: we're back it's been a while (laughs) well it's been a long time we've had technical difficulties we've had midterms we've had papers rona Uh, rona traveling (laughs) it's not we can make all the excuses we want and you know what we're we're bad but we're back we're at least back right now
1: we're we're back now for good every week for now on Yeah, there's gonna be an there's gonna be an episode a week. I can promise you that it's either just gonna be just me, or if I can corral these other two guys, (laughs) then we're gonna hopefully they'll be on too. It's it all really depends on the week, but yeah, we're gonna we're we're gonna be a lot more consistent. We're gonna be picking out maybe a different day of the week. It really depends again. So especially with the end of the semester coming up, so a lot of schedules are gonna be changing here. So, but pretty optimistic for the outlook of simmer down for the rest of 2020.
0: I think the time zone thing is bigger too. Cause like the three hour time zone difference was just, it just made things so like awkward. Cause there was always just like a weird, you know, it was three o'clock in California and then six o'clock in New York. And it just made everything just so, it made it hard to find like an exact time to do, but no more excuses. I'm done doing excuses. That's, you know, typical yeah, thing. Let's record. <laughs> <laughs> so we got, consistent? we got Clown of the Week going up. Yeah. I, oh, really, yeah. I really yeah. enjoyed this Clown of the Week.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this, this Clown of the Week, is could, this could, they could actually rise in our Clown of the Year standing. They, they should really they're...
0: be Clown of the Fall.
1: Like, now that we think of it, like they really should be Clown of the Fall. Yeah. Um, it could be. All right.
0: Ben, who, who is it, Ben? Who well, is it? it's Michigan. And the reason it's Michigan is because, I mean, do I even have to explain myself on why it's Michigan? Uh let's see. This team started off obviously back in September beating Minnesota away from home. Everybody thought Joe Milton was, you know, the savior of the Michigan football program, was gonna win the Heisman. They were gonna go undefeated, finally beat Ohio State. You know, this was the dream season. Yeah, no. Yeah, what did they do last week? <laughs> well, last week they had a great showing against the O and five Michigan team. They went uh they won they lost 27 to 17. And uh, Cade McIntyre, there was a, a video of him from the last week when they beat Rutgers 48-42 to in overtime of him saying, if we went out, it won't matter, even though they only had three games left and they had already lost three before that. And he was given this great speech, you know, about Michigan being great, you know, Wolverine football and all this stuff. And then they proceeded to lose to Penn State um, at home. So shout out to Michigan for just being um, – just sad sad. I, I don't know any other way to put it incompetent. Than just incompetent, sad, depressing. Thank God I'm not a fan of that that or that that um program. And also to add on to this, you know, keep it quick though, Harbaugh's time's up. I don't know if anyone else agrees with me on that, but his time in in Michigan has been a failure. Um he's been one of the, in my opinion, one of the biggest flops of a college football head coach we've seen in a long time. And you know, I think he's had all the, you know, all the chances and all the opportunities to bring in a good quarterback to, you know, build a winning football program there, but he can't do it. And maybe that's the Michigan curse. Maybe that's Harbaugh himself. But I mean, yeah, Michigan clown of the week. I don't even think it's close. <laughs> Harbaugh, on yeah. the
1: Hot seat. <laughs> um, I, honestly, I don't know if this is his last season in Michigan with the COVID year and everything is any, just about everything is anything but certain. And, but uh, there are plenty of, uh, Bad things to look at with Jim Harbaugh in his time in Michigan, and one of those being never having a great quarterback, never having great quarterback stability, never being able to truly develop a legitimate quarterback to even challenge Ohio State um, in those games, and it's it's very concerning. (laughs) And um, that's that's Michigan football just playing with their fans' feelings. You know, they come out great one week and the very next go go back to being a good old Michigan. In 2020, so. I think he has a um, worse
0: record than Tom Herman in, in rivalry games.
1: Like, his record oh at Michigan God. has
0: been one of the worst. Like, he, there's been other Michigan coaches before him. Like, I'm pretty sure uh, – who was it? Rich Rodriguez, right? Like, before him? Uh, he had a better mm-hmm. record against Ohio State. Like, it's, it's just yeah. – he's been getting – he's gotten blown out by Ohio State every time. And it's just – like, I mean – I, to go on, like, one last tangent about it, like, has anyone else felt like that Michigan, like, their fans act like they're such a storied program, but they're really not. Like, they I haven't mean, really... produced a lot of good players, but... They've, they've produced really some good players, like Charles Woodson, and, you know, they had Desmond Howard and so on, but they've never, like, they haven't won a title in I, over 30 years at least, and they've won, like, maybe one or two in their program's history. Like, this isn't, like, I think Michigan fans have just had a little bit of an unfortunate case of you know, a team that's just hyped up because they're Michigan, when in reality they, they haven't, you know, been relevant since the 50s and 60s. So, yeah, that's my <laughs> – I'm a little biased, obviously, being a
1: Buckeye fan, but, you know, I, I feel bad for Michigan, uh, Michigan
0: fans. It's for just Buc- crazy, it's though. Rough.
1: Like, like they, they did this to themselves. Cade McNerama steps in for Joe Milton, 27 for 36, 260 yards, and four touchdowns. Oh. And then you, they drop forty-eight on Rutgers and Great Gianno. Like who, nobody expected that. And how does Cade McNaroma come in there and just start ripping it all over the place? Like, and, and then you follow that up with a, a, just a garbage performance. How, just absolutely forgetting how to play football <laughs> against a winless Penn State team that had absolutely nothing going for them going into this game. <laughs> like Penn State fans are on suicide watch. <laughs> and, this, and then they, they Michigan gave them hope. Like. <laughs> I don't even, I don't even know. Two hundred and eighty-six total yards.
0: Like you can't win games in the Big Ten if you're not even putting up three hundred total yards in a game. Like you just can't. It's um, just, it's not going to happen.
1: Yeah, Cade McNamara didn't even have 100 yards passing in this oh, one. God. And um, his his legendary speech in the locker room post game <laughs> still not as bad as Sam Ellinger saying Texas is back, just so everybody is clear. That is still supreme. <laughs> yeah, that uh, still is the
0: worst one. Like, it was just so annoying, too, because they were just playing a Georgia team that had given up fully. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, anyways, that being said, I think that's enough about Michigan. I don't even know how they keep remaining to be relevant in 2020, but they are. And uh, let's get into this, this mock draft.
2: All right. Uh, oh, number one to the New York Jets. We got uh, QB Trevor Lawrence, two Jacksonville Jaguars, QB Zach Wilson, uh, Cincinnati Bengals selecting offensive tackle Penny Sewell, uh, protect Joe Burrow. Dallas Cowboys, uh, cornerback Patrick Sertain the second, and the Chargers to selecting offensive tackle Rashawn Slater
0: from Northwestern. These are yeah, some interesting so that- picks. <laughs> I, I think we're gonna get a lot of heat for Zach Wilson at two, but I think I like Jake, Zach. Jake and I have talked about like we did, I have all I, we talked about it like a day ago, and like we were watching because we were. I was bitching to Jake about the uh, BYU being ranked 14th, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> um, but obviously, after Dustin Fields' performance against Indiana, I personally felt like at least for me that Zach Wilson was the clear number two quarterback in this class. And mm-hmm. if you watch his film, you'll see the man just makes. NFL throws consistently in every single game and I think you can argue that he's not playing a lot of talented teams he's not playing in a big Ten. he's not playing in the SEC but we see guys like Justin Fields with ex- exuberantly better you know talent around them not do as well and we see someone like you know Zach Wilson with less talent around him do a lot better and I think it's important to note to take that in the you know your com- uh, comparison when you're you know comparing the two quarterbacks so yeah I I think he's he's proven that, you know, through his NFL throwing ability, you know, this year that he's the clear number two quarterback.
1: And of course it's always concerning. You're like, Oh, Zach Wilson just popped up this year. Like Justin Fields has been a known commodity for a long time. And well, guess what? Zach Wilson has looked more impressive. Like just in my opinion, in the nine games they've played so far versus Justin Fields in the two years he's been starting at a power five program. Like, Zach Wilson, he's a playmaker and not just in the Johnny Manziel way. He's doing it in an NFL style. Like this game, his game will absolutely translate to the NFL. And I, a lot of people like just mainstream media is really trying to cling on to Justin Fields, like there is not a problem with him being the second best quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence. But that's just I, I'm not seeing it. I'm not buying it, and that's just not the case because Justin Fields has yet to win a big game or and look good and play convincingly well doing it. So that's why Zach Wilson, he just, he shot up my board and he's number two. I think the Jags are going to be doing this because they're they're going through a complete overhaul. Uh, David Caldwell, who is known for loving SEC guys. He's gone now as the GM and they're going to have a new GM. They're probably going to have a new coach. Uh, It's, and it's, it's always great to start a new um, regime with a new coach and quarterback. And I think Zach Wilson has a very high chance of being the second quarterback taken after T-Law.
2: Yep, it's, you have uh, you have the comparison. Uh, you have it as Mormon Montana, Menzel Mahomes, and that's that's absolutely true. His, his arm talent is ridiculous.
1: Yeah, like the eye test, I, I'm telling you, if you watch just a couple Zach Wilson highlights, you're just going to go crazy over this guy if you haven't heard of him or seen his play. And, yeah, that's Zach Wilson. I like him going second. And as far as the Chargers pick goes, this is a little surprising. Rayshon Slater, he's a little uh, bit of an unknown but um, Daniel Jeremiah ranked him as his top tackle over Penney Sewell, which I thought was surprising. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's just giving you a sense that Slater is in the same conversation as Sewell right now. He's at a similar level and he, he just seems like a classic Telesco guy, high character, um, seems like a, a high floor, low ceiling pick. It, it seems like a classic Tom Telesco thing to do. it go with the Sean Slater from a program like Northwestern, in my opinion.
2: I like how you have uh, we you have uh, the Chargers and the Bengals selecting tackles because uh, they find the QBs finally.
1: Well, exactly. It's just I I don't think those franchises can afford to go in another direction too. Yeah. So I I think that plays a big part in this. And Telesco's neglected the O line for far too long. And if Cincinnati is at all competent, they will get a tackle and they will not pass on Penny Sewell when he falls to them. At, it looks like what they're going to have the third pick. The third pick in the 2021 draft for sure as long as they keep losing out with Ryan Finley at quarterback. So, um yeah, madden madden creative play. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I see it right now.
2: All right, moving on. Um at number 6, we got offen we got the Giants taking offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood from Alabama. 7, the Atlanta Falcons taking edge kitty Pay from Michigan. Uh we got, at eight, we got the Eagles taking linebacker Micah Parsons from Penn State. Detroit taking wide receiver Jamar Chase at nine. And the Panthers, this is kind of a shocker, taking QB Justin Fields at number 10.
1: <laughs> Finn, what are you most surprised about in in these picks right here? Yeah, yeah is, is it going to be the Giants pick or the Panthers pick right there?
0: Well, the Giants pick, see, I... I think that you're the Giants picks tough, right? Because it's like on one hand, it's you know, a guy like Alex Weatherwood, Alabama product, offensive tackle, it's basically as sure as you can get in terms of what you're getting. You know, you're going to get a solid offensive tackle for at least eight to 10 years. And they they do need that because Daniel Jones is still running for his life back there. And that's why he's injured right now. And you know, they're still in playoff contention in such a terrible division. So the argument could be, you know, more offensive linemen, we protect our quarterback, we still can make the playoffs, even though we're not a great team. But on the other hand, I'm like, Daniel Jones needs help. So as a Giants fan, part of me wants to give up on Daniel Jones. Part of me just thinks it hasn't worked out. Part of me thinks that teams have figured out his game. They figured out that if they get him pressure, that he makes mistakes. But on the other hand, he has no weapons. Sterling Shepard has been a complete bust since, you know, coming to the NFL. They lost out Odell Beckham, obviously. Evan Ingram has been inconsistent his entire career. You can make the argument here that Jamar Chase is the move. And I think it's because he's the clear best receiver coming out of college. Yes, he opted out this year, but he had an unbelievable season last year. He's probably a sure thing. And who knows? Maybe you get Daniel Jones, a really quality receiver. You get uh, Saquon Barkley back when he's healthy. You have a decent offense there, and you actually find your quarterback. So knowing Gettleman, I don't think we'll see that. I think that we'll obviously see the Giants take um, an offensive tackle. I think if the Giants get Daniel Jones back, and they end up going to the playoffs somehow because they are technically first in the division with the the Washington football team, I think you could see them, if they have a lower pick, go for a guy like Jamar Chase. And then as for Justin Fields, I going to the Panthers, I think that's personally the best place for someone like Justin Fields. He'll go somewhere with Joe Brady, who did wonders for Joe Burrow, is a quarterback guru, will fix Justin Fields' mistakes, and he's also going somewhere with an unbelievable head coach and personally one of my favorite head coaches in the league right now in that rule. So I think Carolina, honestly... Justin Fields falling to 10 Carolina is the perfect situation for him. And he can also sit under Teddy Bridgewater for a year.
2: Yeah, I was, I was about to mention that. But going back to the Giants pick, um, last time me and Jake recorded this, I was like, what, you have the Giants taking another, another tackle after uh, Andrew Thomas last year. But uh, Jake said la- last time that we rec- recorded this that you could slide Andrew Thomas to right tackle because he has experience playing there. So a Leatherwood pick wouldn't be that bad.
1: Yeah, Andrew Thomas, he's experienced at both tackle spots because he he played at right tackle first for Georgia before moving over to left, dominant at both. And uh, Alex Leatherwood, I he's—I think he would slide right in there at left tackle because he has been pretty dominant. He's massive. And um, Gettleman, he's a sucker for SEC offense alignment. And I don't, I'm not sure they're going to be ready to call it quits on Dan, Daniel Jones. I just don't know. Um, Cause he hasn't necessarily been awful this year and he's actually cut down the turnovers, but now he's injured. Now you're getting less of a sample size from Dan- Daniel Jones with under Joe judge now, and it, it all affects what they're going to do. And who knows? Cause if they miss out on the, the top two quarterbacks, top three quarterbacks at number six, then it will for sure be, I feel like an offensive lineman because, but they could easily go in a number of other directions. They could feel comfortable with Trey Lance. Who knows they could feel comfortable with Justin Fields easily as well, or Jamar Chase, because I think he's a sure thing, but I don't know if Gettleman's going to be willing to pay a premium on skill positions. He might just go with a really safe pick in Alex Leatherwood, and then as far as Justin Fields of the Panthers goes, I think this is a really good fit, because yeah, he could sit under Teddy Bridgewater, but also I think Matt Rule might really identify with Justin Fields' leadership and um, competitiveness that he's shown at Ohio State, those are the two things that he's always been super consistent with, with at Ohio State above all things and Matt Rule I think would really like that and Justin Fields and there's a good chance they pull the trigger on this and I don't know I think they will be taking a quarterback is cuz I don't see them being this bad again next season they they've played too well this season they've they've lost like most of their losses have come by one possession they've been in pretty much every game
0: they're a scrappy so, team yeah like I have enjoyed watching them play I I really like Matt Rule a lot he I mean cuz that is by no means one of the more talented teams in the NFL and they've done wonders, even with Christian McCaffrey out. So, and again, I think the Joe Brady, uh, Justin Fields uh, duo will be just fantastic for him.
1: Yeah. And yeah, exactly. If Matt rule can get Joe Brady to stay for one more year before getting his own head coaching gig, he can mentor Justin Fields, help him grow as a quarterback. And it would, I think it would just make a lot of sense. And then also Jamar Chase out to the lions at number nine, Matthew Stafford, he needs help. I think he's a top wide receiver away from really having a nice offense there in Detroit, and they're going to be having a new regime. There's going to be a lot of decisions to be made, and it's going to depend a lot on who the head coach is. But I'm telling you, if you add Jamar Chase, you already got Matthew Stafford. You already got TJ Hawkinson. You already got DeAndre Swift. It's going to be a really nice offensive core. With a decent offensive line already in place, it's going to be really nice uh, going forward for the Detroit Lions, especially when the Vikings are still shaky and the Bears are going to be on a full rebuild. So there's a good chance the Lions could be going from a top 10 pick to a um, potential contender if Jamar Chase. Obviously, they still have plenty of other issues to address, but Jamar Chase could, make, um, could have a huge impact in Detroit.
2: Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see them going more of the offensive route after the uh, Patricia experiment, too. So,
0: Yeah, I think they realized real quick that that didn't work. Oh, well, not real quick,
1: actually. <laughs> <laughs> like a <laughs> <laughs>
0: Maybe a year late. <laughs> but, right. anyways, we got number eleven through fifteen here. Yep. And uh, at number eleven, we got Gregory Rousseau, edge rusher from Miami, going to the Miami Dolphins. Number twelve, we got the Vikings taking Christian Derisaw, offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. We got the Pats at thirteen, taking Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa uh, uh, from Notre Dame. And fourteen, we got San Francisco Forty ers Taking Trey Lance and at 15, we got the cornerback Caleb Ferry going to the Broncos. Some interesting picks here, too.
1: Trey Lance. Yeah, I think I think look, so Brian Flores, he's a defensive mind head coach. And this defense is already pretty dominant. They're only a few pieces away from just being that much better. Imagine getting a value like Gregory Rousseau, who's an athletic freak at number eleven. I from I Houston
0: as well. <laughs> Shout out Bill O'Brien.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're getting this pick from Houston, and it's gonna be a it's gonna be a high pick. Um, Houston's starting to win now, and it's starting to affect this pick a little bit. But still, if you're at eleven, there's going to be a lot of great options. I could see Brian Flores absolutely doing that, um, especially if Jamar Chase is off the board. And looking at these other picks, I think Jeremiah Owusu to the Patriots, Bill Belichick. They got a lot of holes in that defense, especially especially in the front seven. Addressing linebacker is going to be a must, um, and he is super versatile. You can use him a variety of ways. He's really physical. I think Belich- Belichick is going to identify with that, and Vikings take, I mean, uh, San Francisco 49ers getting Trey Lance. This one could be really interesting because we know Jimmy G's days are numbered in the Bay. um, And I think if there's one guy that could get the most out of Trey Lance, it's going to be Kyle Shanahan. And that's just going to be really interesting with all the play action stuff they do. And uh, maybe Trey Lance running the football a lot more, who knows? I think that's just going to do wonders for the 49ers. If Trey Lance did in fact fall to the 49ers at fourteen.
0: I would love I mean you know you know I talked to you, you about this Jake I would love if Zach Wilson fell to the 49ers just because I think again that Kyle Shanahan with Zach Wilson would be unbelievable I don't we both know I think he's going to go in the top 10 but that being said Trey Lance isn't a bad substitute I mean this guy was considered the arguably the second best quarterback prospect in the class like 6 months ago um and he just had you know because of covid you know unfortunately wasn't able to play a full season I watched the tape of his game uh it was good he ran the ball a lot but obviously you can't get a lot from one game especially when it was sort of just basically an expedition um so I think I, I see the 49ers here I, I don't see how they fail from this pick I mean the defense is already pretty solid everyone's gonna be back healthy next year you know they have good receivers at you know good receivers and a tight end obviously in George Kittle um they can kind of play around here and you know take a guy like Trey Lance and see what happens um so I, I'm excited to see if they uh if they pull the trigger on him. And then also the Patriots getting Jeremiah Wusu-Kamora for me is, is huge. Uh, We know Belichick loves his defensive players. And this guy, if you've watched any Notre game, this uh, game game this year, you know that this guy is all over the field. He reminds me a little bit of Isaiah Simmons, to be honest. um, And he's just an athletic freak. Prototypical uh, NFL defender nowadays, but going back to
2: Trey Lance pick, um, you just got to think about what does Jimmy G bring to the table versus what Trey Lance brings to the table. And with, with Trey Lance, you know, their ceiling is a lot higher. You can do a lot more things with Trey Lance than you can with Jimmy G who's uh, kind of stuck in the pocket nowadays. So, Great point. So Trey Lance could easily fit into Shanahan's system.
0: I think he fits better than Garoppolo. Yeah. Because we know Shanahan loves to do things like have the receivers, you know, run into the backfield, you know, play a lot of play action passes, you know, you notice like when you're with Garoppolo, you kind of are limited to the pocket. But if you watch Trey Lance, especially in that Expedition game, he was running the ball more than he was throwing it. And you know, if you look at his stats from his uh, his uh, sophomore year, where he was ba- he didn't throw one interception. You go, okay? When he had a full season of tape, he he threw no uh, interceptions, had great completion percentage. And then the one game we have, we also got to see the other side of him too. And you know how imperative it is in this league right now to have a quarterback that can move with his legs. So. 49ers, I think, could get a steal here if they're smart and they take them. All right, moving on at
2: 16, we got the Bears taking guard Wyatt Davis. (laughs) Uh, Miami Dolphins, uh, Laramie Tunsil trade. They have another pick here, I think. I think it's from Laramie Tunsil, right? Um, no, no, this is their own pick. This is their oh, got it. Yeah. Other ones from the Texans. That's right.
0: Right. Um, the Texans gave up so many picks. It's hard to figure out yeah.
1: <laughs> which one's which. <laughs> Where you go, Bill. Yeah, th- thanks, Bill. <laughs> He's gone now.
2: He's gone now. That's okay. Uh, at 17, we got the Miami Dolphins picking again, taking linebacker Dylan Moses from Bama. Um, 18, the Ravens taking Terrence Marshall Jr., wide receiver from LSU. Washington football team taking linebacker Nick Bolton and the Cardinals taking
0: tight end Kyle Pitts from Florida. Damn. There's so many good picks here. There, there are a lot. It's, I think you can make the argument that maybe it, the Baltimore Ravens would take Devonta, Devonta Smith. Cause I just think he's been clearly the best receiver in college football this year. Um, I think the bears as well, starting off with them guard makes sense. Obviously I think a lot of bears fans would like a QB, but in my opinion, You know, obviously the way they're going, they might be a little higher and they might have an opportunity at a guy like Trey Lance or Justin Fields, but right now there's just no QB that's worth taking at that point in the first round.
2: Especially, yeah, especially if Trey Lance and
0: and, uh, Zach Wilson are already gone. And the two picks that I love here, Dylan Moses to the Miami Dolphins after taking Gregory Rousseau Rousseau is unbelievable to me because Dylan Moses is the the heart of that Alabama defense. The Dolphins could arguably be – the best defense in the NFL in two years, two years from now. And yeah. I think the Cardinals too. taking Kyle Pitts, I love Kyle Pitts. I think he's one of the most dynamic players in college football. You give Kyler Murray a guy like that when he already has DeAndre Hopkins. I mean, that's just, that's just unfair in my opinion. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm yeah. If Kyle Pitts, there's a very good chance he goes higher. I. It's hard to figure out who's really going to, want to take the luxury pick in Kyle Pitts because a lot of teams have much bigger needs, but Kyle Pitts is really phenomenal. So it's very possible he goes in the top half of the first round. I wouldn't rule that out by any means. And But if he falls to the Cardinals, I don't see how Cliff Kingsbury passes this up. He would just take this whole offense to another level and um, good luck in FC West if that happens. <laughs> I mean, imagine
0: imagine Pitts playing in a big t- a Big 12 offense because you can say a little, like Florida's offense, he's not limited. But he didn't see. He doesn't see a lot of. You know, he only had four targets on Saturday. Like I think in an offense like Cliff Kingsbury, you'd see Kyler Murray throw him the ball ten. You know, ten times a game. So I, yeah, I, I Cliff Kingsbury. If he fought, if he gets Kyle Pitts in his hands, I mean, that's just that that offense is going to be even more scary than uh, it is right now. Take some. Take some. Uh, it'll take some attention off of DeHop too. Christian. Yeah, Jamal, they'll just – Kyle Pitts will become Jamal Adams' father if he ends up on the Cardinals.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like, no cap. <laughs> yeah, and then real quick about the Dolphins and the Ravens pick. So uh, Dylan Moses to the Dolphins, I don't know. Brian Flores is going to be licking his chops, I think, if Dylan Moses falls here. and Because Dylan Moses, he's a, another great athlete. He's going to be running the show at middle linebacker. Coming from Alabama, he's a proven product. Um, Brian Flores is going to love taking another one of Saban's defensive prospects. And that would solidify the defense as a top five unit because they're already looking phenomenal with Brian Flores after just a couple free agent signings and a little culture change. Imagine when you really get to invest in this defense and these guys get to grow, um, up into Brian Flores' system. That could be something really special, uh, cooking down there in Miami, even though they are double dipping on defense. I don't know if Dolphins fans want to see that it could really just make them that much lethal more lethal and then the ravens pick Terrace marshall jr this is a high riser for me he's not exactly the consensus number two wide receiver by any means but i just think he's a complete prospect and at that size and lamar has accuracy issues he needs a big body athlete to really help him um because they give him a large catch radius to throw to and the ravens like what comes out of lsu lately so i think there's a very strong chance um the ravens are going to have one of these uh a late pick here in the Bottom half of the first round, Terrace Marshall Jr. He should be available, and I think they're going to really like him.
2: All right, moving on. At 21, we have the Vegas, Las Vegas Raiders. That's very weird to say still. Um, taking wide receiver Devonta Smith out of Alabama. Uh, Tempe taking offensive tackle Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. The Colts taking cornerback Tyson Campbell from Georgia. Cleveland taking linebacker Chas Surratt from USC. And... The New York Jets taking running back Najee Harris from Alabama.
1: Yeah, so I will say the Las Vegas Raiders getting Devontae Smith. This would help out Derek Carr a ton. You just give him another weapon after they've been a little bit um, – they don't, they haven't had great depth at wide receiver. They haven't had somebody really dominant as a wide receiver one um, since Amari Cooper, and I think Derek Carr would benefit greatly from that. So And Mayock loves big-time guys that are leaders from Bama and Clemson. So I think that's a no-brainer for the Las Vegas Raiders. And then moving on down, I would say the Browns pick up a linebacker that fills a a huge need for them. Chaz Surratt has been terrific in coverage, and he's really fast as well, former quarterback, so he sees defenses a little differently. and He's a little bit more advanced, big size as well, so that fills a huge need for the Cleveland Browns. And the New York Jets, I think this is an interesting pick, they, they double-dip on offense, they get T-Law, and then they get him a great running back to help him out in the run game, Najee Harris. I think this is the consensus first uh, number one running back in this class, and not enough people are just recognizing him and giving him the the, the the attention that he deserves. And with Makai Becton locked down at left tackle, you could really help T-Law out with a strong running game. And Najee Harris has also got great hands, would be a contributor in the passing game, no doubt.
0: I think he's a better version of Travis Etienne. And we've seen how good Tr- Trevor Lawrence is with Etienne on his team. I mean, if you watch Najee Harris play, a lot of people will say Travis Etienne is the best receiving back in, the, in college football. I disagree. I think, I think uh, Najee Harris is. I mean, he is lethal out of the bat in, in the um, running routes at receiver. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, he mossed someone, he's mossed someone multiple times this year alone. So I get, you know, giving Trevor Lawrence a freak athlete like that, I think it will do wonders for a Jets offense that's been stuck in quicksand for, I don't know, about 20, 30, 40 years now. They've never really not been in quicksand. I mean, maybe for like a year with Chad Pennington, and then they quickly went back into it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That 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 would probably be one of the most lethal
2: backfields if they developed correctly. Hopefully, Hopefully the Jets can bring in – some guys to uh kickstart this offense cuz clearly Adam Gase is on his way out. So what
0: if Najee and Trevor just both retire if they get drafted <laughs> by the Jets and <laughs> so they don't
2: have to play or, for orbit colony e- I man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. They're,
1: they're like they're like awkwardly sitting together somehow at the NFL draft if it, if it was even in person and then they they're both like just joking about the Jets and they both get taken by them. <laughs> like oh yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would be a very – I don't know how much he would like that surprise. But. That's such a
0: brawl moment right there. Like you're just <laughs> like, I got a dip.
1: <laughs>
2: All right. Um, I'm just going to go through the rest of the picks here since there's a bonus to off of the five. But um, So at 26, we got the Packers taking linebacker Zayven Collins. Sorry if I butchered his name. From Tulsa. The Tennessee Titans taking linebacker Joseph Osai from Texas. The Bills taking cornerback J.C. Horn from South Carolina. The Jaguars from the um, Jalen Ramsey trade. This is the Rams pick. But uh, they're going to take They're, they're – we're, we're projecting them to take safety Trayvon Morig from TCU. The Chiefs taking Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. New Orleans Saints taking wide receiver Jalen Waddell from Alabama. And the Steelers at the moment with the last pick taking Edge Hemelich. Hem- Hamilcar Carrishad.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, I butchered that one. Uh, listen, we, should have had, we should have had a production meeting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we were,
0: we bro. Some of these that's
2: names, the last man. Podcast right here. <laughs> <laughs> Jr. from uh, Oregon
1: State. <laughs> So I think I yeah you know, I think I probably think I purposely planted some of these guys' names in here. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like <laughs> Hamilcar. 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 It's a, That's it's a a sick that, name. It's actually not even Hamilcar. It's Hamaca. I saw that pronunciation.
0: Oh, uh, I guess the L is silent.
1: Um, yeah, there's a, a lot of different parts there. So yeah, Hamaca. Well, if
2: you watch, uh, if it, if he listens to this somehow, I'm sorry for butchering. <laughs>
1: um yeah that being said i think joseph osaya texas i think he there's a strong chance he finds himself getting taken by the tennessee titans he would fit in that three four scheme as that hybrid linebacker edge i it'd just be a great fit and Vrabel loves physical guys and then at 29 the jaguars it's really hard to predict what they're gonna do you know because they're gonna have a completely new regime it seems like by the end of the season going into this draft and trayvon morig He's, he's been a playmaker. He, he seems like a complete safety to me, a great size, 6'2", 200. And you're getting a great value here at 29 if you get the top safety to fall here. And he feels a big need on defense and um, start helping rebuild that secondary after, you know, the whole Saxonville era and Jaylen, with Jalen Ramsey and company. So, yeah, Trayvon, I think that would be a great pick for the Jags there. And then What's the, the Ch- point
0: of the Saints having Jalen Waddle? if Drew Brees can't even throw it more than 15 yards? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's a good point. Now, the Saints are going to they're the Saints are in win now mode and they're kind of one of these teams in a, with a weird situation where they have a great roster, but they're going to be looking for a quarterback. And a lot of these t- teams are going to be are going to see themselves uh falling out of position to take one of these high-profile prospects, and I'm not sure that Kyle Trask or Mac Jones because of their limited mobility are going to warrant a first-round pick um with from these teams. So, That being said, I feel like maybe who knows, maybe Jameis Winston works out or, you know, they're going to make a move elsewhere. Maybe they bring in Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz ends up being phenomenal or for them, whoever, whatever veteran they bring in. That being said, I think Jalen Waddell, he'd bring in a new element to the offense. And we haven't seen that with the New Orleans Saints in quite some time. They kind of they don't play necessarily an exciting brand of football. And part of that is because Drew, Drew Brees he can't throw it over twenty yards. But and Michael
0: Thomas can't catch anything unless it's a slant.
1: <laughs> and Michael Thomas isn't really capable of doing much beyond the fifteen yard line. But <laughs> hey, I'll think... take these dump offs to Kamara all day though. Yeah. Um, yeah, and at some point, some team somebody's going to be able uh, to cover those check downs to Kamara out of the backfield. So Jalen Waddle would put the Saints um, in instant Super Bowl contention, I think, and. As far as the Steelers go, the Steelers love taking under uh, sized edge rushers. You've seen it with TJ Watt, you've seen it with Bud Dupree. And uh, Rashid Jr. represents a modern uh, defender, mo- the modern pass rusher, just because he's so athletic and he's got ridiculous speed uh, for an edge rusher now. And Bud Dupree's been great, but he's 28 next season, and I'm not sure the Steelers are going to want to hand out that long term deal. That being said, and w- as a contender, you have to be really careful about who you pay. Uh, when, you have a super, when you're have a when you in the midst of a Super Bowl window. That's why I think the Steelers let Dupree walk after giving him the franchise tag this season, and they're going to take an edge rusher at some point, and Rashid Jr. might be that guy.
0: Well, to go back to the Saints real quick, do you, Jake, do you think, is Jalen Waddle the pick you think the Saints are going to take? Because what if you were the GM of the Saints? Because if I was the GM of the Saints, I would argue that taking Trask is probably the right move. Because I think that when you look at it, you know, Kyle Trask has had obviously one of the better seasons in college football that we've seen in a while. And he's a little bit reminds me of a Joe Burrow where he's matured a lot. You know, he's been much better in the pocket compared to last year. And the Saints are used to playing with a quarterback who's not mobile. So I feel like Kyle Trask to the Saints is a perfect fit. I mean, obviously, you could argue that, yeah, it's a little high. But if I was the Saints, I feel like I'd take Trask because I just – I think this year we've seen with Drew Brees, he's not the same player he was. There's a chance he doesn't even come back next year. And if you're the Saints, it's like, okay, you know, yeah, we can take an explosive guy like Jalen Waddle. Yeah, we can see what Jameis Winston can do. And I think that's probably, you know, why they won't go quarterback. But at the same time, I mean, if I'm Sean Payton, I might feel like Kyle Trous is too hard to pass up.
1: Uh, no, that's absolutely a great point. Kyle Trask would totally fit this offense, but I I don't know. Maybe Sean Payton, after seeing what Taysom Hill can do, and then you mix that with a great passer, you're you're gonna want an athletic quarterback, a more athletic quarterback at, at the very least. And so I don't know if Sean Payton's gonna love Kyle Trask. You know, when he's, yeah. especially when you already have Jameis Winston, who's like not that much less mobile, and he can still sling it easily. So I I just don't know. Like I think there's a strong chance they keep Jalen. Uh, I mean, sorry, Jameis Winston as the quarterback, and they used Taysom Hill goes back to being Taysom Hill in this Taysom Hill role, and that's your element of a running quarterback in that offense, and that therefore you have the, um, the capital to go and draft another position of need, and wide receiver is a huge need for them, in my opinion, when they could go plenty of other directions, of course, like just like a bunch of other teams, but Jalen Waddle I think, would really help out the Saints.
0: Are you a fan of Jalen Waddle though? Because we've talked about this, too. We both have been like, you know, I'm not going to say that I think he's a John Ross type player where he's, you know, just only speed, but it's hard to get a good look on a guy like Jalen Waddle and really be like, this guy's going to be dominant in the NFL because we've just seen so many of these guys every year with this crazy speed and everybody's trying to look for that next Tyreek Hill. And I think you can argue that this guy's maybe one of the closest we've seen to a Tyreek Hill in a while. We've been talking about it when we've been watching Bama games where you know, it's like, you're kind of just like, oh, I'm not surprised, you know, like, oh, this guy can run down the field 30 yards faster than everybody else and catch a deep ball. You know, I want to see him run the full route tree, especially in a Saints offense.
1: No, exactly. I I mean, I don't know if the Saints are going to be able to develop um, a wide receiver exactly to his, like, if for a guy that is not necessarily, he doesn't necessarily have the whole route tree down. I don't know if they're capable of doing that exactly. But uh, Jalen Waddle and I don't, I'm not in love with him, of course, because I haven't seen the route tree from him. I don't think we've seen enough from him at Bama, and the leg injury is really unfortunate. But that could also have his. That could also see Jalen Waddle have his drop, his stock go down, and it's that's why I have him going at 31. I obviously don't love him if I have him going at 31. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I think there's still a chance a team that in the need with a need for having a dynamic offense, um, Jalen Waddle can absolutely provide that. If he goes to the right system, the Saints have a great culture, a great environment, great offense in place with Sean Payton. So I think this could be a, a, a big win for the Saints if this happens.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for our NFL draft. Uh, definitely more to come in the future. Um, they're really fun to do. I got I to gotta get working on mine. Mine's a little bit different than Jake's, I would say, uh, but pretty much almost similar down the board because most of the time, Jake and I tend to be agreeing on most things. I would say. Well, depends. It really depends. Yeah. Now we're on to college football. So this was a pretty – it's been a pretty crazy week in college football, to say the least. Uh, We got the rankings coming out tonight, which will be interesting. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But one thing I do want to say first is that BYU, if they get screwed in the rankings again tonight – that might be the signal that the playoff committee is making the statement that BYU is not a playoff team unless they play somebody that's in a power five conference. Cause last week, I think at 14, first of all, I just think it was a complete misup by the a mishap by the committee. I think it was just, you know, an insult to BYU. Um, the fact that they had two lost teams in front of them, I didn't understand. And I think that, you know, going forward, you would like to see them move up, but at the same time, that Washington game and that weird mishap that happened with that, you have to think that maybe the committee is just going to put their foot down and be like, look, this team's not a playoff team unless they play someone that we consider is somewhat of a playoff team or at least playing in a Power 5 conference.
1: Yeah, I mean, I tweeted this out a couple days ago, and I said, hey, if BYU wants any chance at the playoff, they need to get on the phone and do everything they can to get USC to agree to a game with them. They need to schedule USC. Uh, I think both programs need to do that. They need to schedule this game if they want any chance at a playoff because there will be an abundance of one-loss teams with better resumes than the Cougs and USC as well, and it doesn't look good for them going forward, especially if this is what the committee really thinks of BYU right now. As a 9-0 team, they only have one game left against San Diego State. That's not going to help anything. (laughs) So that being said, BYU, uh, yeah, they got to do something. They got to get another game on there. I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know if Washington would even really help their case that much. I think it has to be a big name. And uh, USC, they are undefeated. So, you no know, USC has got a decent product on the field. They just need to get it right, you know, on the same page of chemistry, everything else. So, yeah. BYU. I mean, the
0: fact, though, that Iowa State is in front of them is insulting. See, that's where I go with the committee. I'm like, okay, I understand your apprehensions with BYU. I get it. You know, playing, you know, Texas State and teams like Southern Alabama isn't going to do you justice. But when you have a two-loss Iowa State team in front of you, you have a two-loss Oklahoma team in front of you, I just don't understand it. I don't know how the committee has that, those two teams in front, of Ohio, in front of BYU. They should be at least in the top 10. And, you know, moving forward, we've also talked about, I mean, the scenarios that could take place, like we were talking about off the pod for at least 30 minutes just trying to figure out what the different scenarios were for the playoff, and they're mind-boggling. <laughs> To say the least,
1: there, there is so is many there's so many possibilities that people are going to be losing their mind. And there's going to be- I think I can do it pretty fast. <laughs> I think
0: I can like do it pretty fast. All right, let's see. So the first the first one is the one we have right now, where it's Notre Dame. Let's say okay. The first scenario I think that could happen: Alabama wins out. They're clearly the number one team. They go. Ohio State wins out. They're clearly a top four team. They go. Notre Dame loses to Clemson in the in you know the ACC championship, not by a lot. So both team goes. That's probably the most simple you know, for, you know, first four teams in, they've been, you know, the top four teams clearly all year. That's probably what the committee really wants to happen. But there's also a chance that let's say Notre Dame drops a game, you know, before the ACC championship or Notre Dame gets crushed by Clemson in the ACC championship. Now with Trevor Lawrence, then if you're the committee, you have to go, okay, Notre Dame got beat, you know, let's say 45 to 10 by Clemson. You know, this is obviously a different team with Trevor Lawrence, maybe Clemson's out and then let's say Texas, you know, Alabama wins out. Texas A&M sitting there at five, you know, with a one-loss team, and they couldn't make the SEC championship because of Bama. Maybe you throw Texas A&M in there, or Florida beats Bama, and then you're in a situation where it's like, okay, do we put Florida in because they beat Bama, but then they lost to Texas A&M? Do we put Texas A&M in because they lost the, they beat Florida, but they lost to Bama? So that makes it even messier. Then you also have universities. You have Cincinnati sitting there at number seven, undefeated. And obviously, if the committee has not Cincinnati at number seven, they're clearly thinking of them as a playoff team. They obviously play in the American Conference, which is a little bit more competitive than the non-conference BYU. So then you have to make the argument, if Cincinnati goes undefeated and they're sitting there in that same situation, does Cincinnati get in over Florida, Texas, and Alabama? Does Cincinnati get in over you know, Texas a and and Alabama because Florida won the SEC championship? But then you have to argue that Texas A&M should be in there. So that's another scenario. Then you also have the fact that BYU is in there. They're 9-0. They obviously, if they can schedule a game against a team like USC, you can argue that they win that game, they should be in the playoff. So that's just like, you know, the first few scenarios alone. Then you're also thinking, okay, what if Washington goes undefeated? What if USC goes undefeated? You know, what if, you know, someone like Bama loses, like what if any of those top four teams, like even Ohio state loses a game down the stretch, what do you do? I mean, obviously it makes it a little more simpler because Northwestern lost, you know, you had teams like Miami haven't played in a while and Miami obviously probably won't get in. But it's just there's just so many options. And when I'm thinking of it, I'm like, I don't even know how to figure this out, let alone the committee. And obviously the committee's not going to do a good job of it. So I mean, it is just insane. And then you can also make the argument like, okay, what do you do with a team like Marshall and Coastal Carolina? Obviously, they're not playoff quality teams, but they are undefeated. So what are you going to do with them in terms of the bowls? So even that comes into play because you have teams above them like Carolina that are That's six true. and two but are arguably probably a better team than Costa Carolina. So, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty gnarly. Like, the, the, play, the committee is definitely going to have their most challenging playoff decision in years, and we both think that it might lead to an extended playoff.
1: Yeah. Hey, the party is already—it's already getting way too crowded. So please do not mention Coastal Carolina. No offense <laughs> to those guys, but there is going to be no spot for them even in this conversation.
0: They're playing Liberty though. If Liberty was undefeated, you might have to make the argument because v- Liberty's beaten Virginia Tech. Oh man. So and then they lost NC State. So if Coastal Carolina beats a Liberty team that beat two ACC teams, I almost think you can make the argument to say, hey. Why aren't we thinking of Coastal Carolina the same way we're thinking of BYU? Because they've played they've played a team that beat an SEC team and then lost by an SEC another SEC team by 3. And those are two okay SEC teams, but they're still are ACC teams, sorry. But they're still Power 5 and BYU hasn't played a Power 5 and obviously Coastal Carolina hasn't played a Power 5, but they've beaten a the team that's played Power 5. So it makes it like – I almost think you can honestly give Costa Carolina the benefit of the doubt in terms of looking at them the same way you look at BYU in terms of in terms of schedule. That, resu- of that, resume,
1: that resume still does not compete with the likes of these one-loss, um, not conference champs. Like if you have a one-loss Notre Dame at the end of the year, you have a one-loss Texas A&M, and it's going to be just really tough to really vouch for these group of five teams. But Cincinnati, like they're just hanging out. And they're saying, Hey, we're pretty good at the football. We got Desmond Ritter looking pretty good. Like, and you're not gonna give us a shot here at the four spot. And then you got BYU. Uh, they got Zach Wilson saying, Hey, I'm a Heisman candidate and my team's undefeated. If anything, we should be getting that four spot. And it's gonna be it's just gonna be a huge mess. And somebody's gonna there's gonna be multiple programs getting screwed here at the end of the year. <laughs> and we're we're here for it. But <laughs> I hope the committee gets it right because if they don't, then it's gonna only fuel the argument. For that expanded eighteen playoff, or maybe maybe they expanded this year. That's what maybe uh, that. Might I mean, they yeah. Bit. I mean,
0: this year everything's been switched up and missed. You know, everything's different this year, anyways. Like you might as well, right? Because again, like right. when you think of it, every undefeated team in college football should get an opportunity. We've seen the way NCA basketball does it, and yes, basketball is completely different sport. But if you're undefeated in basketball, you get an opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament. You get an opportunity to win a national championship, and. You know, obviously no disrespect to Coastal Carolina. They haven't had a great schedule, but those guys are probably sitting there, too. And even Marshall's sitting there, too, saying, like, hey, we're an undefeated team. Like, we should get a shot at one of these big boys. We should get a shot to take these guys, you know, and play them hard football. And for anyone out there that's saying, oh, BYU or Cincinnati or any of these teams are going to get wiped if they get into the playoff, let me just tell you, have any of you watched a playoff semifinal game in the last – since the playoffs been, you know, brought in? There's been at least every year one blowout, one blowout. Most years there's two. So to say that you know we can't put BYU, we can't put Cincinnati in the playoff because they're going to get blown out, I don't see how you make that logical statement when we throw Oklahoma in there every year and they get their ass whooped by 30 points. So it's for me, I think the committee's going to mess it up in terms of they're probably going to have a one loss Notre Dame and a one loss Clemson team in there, and I think the reason that is is because I do think Notre Dame is going to lose to Clemson with Trevor Lawrence. It just matters how badly they lose by. And I think a lot of people are going to give the committee a lot of, you know, a lot of crap if Nerdame loses by 30 points and they're still in the playoff. Because, you know, beating a Clemson team with a, fr- a true freshman starter at home, in my opinion, in overtime, if you get beat by more than two touchdowns in the next game, I, I don't know how you say that this team is still considered on the same level as Clemson. Well, I mean – Look, it's so, just I understand what the committee is going to do like I know why they're going to do it but I think everybody's going to disagree with it and it's going to lead to a team like Texas A&M even or Florida or even Cincinnati or BYU just getting absolutely screwed over
1: yeah and the, not a lot of these conferences going to conference only games screwed over the BYU's I'm sure I don't know if since who Cincinnati had scheduled but that still screws them over and it it does, plus, not to mention, it's just like you have these games where, like, Oregon and um, who were they? Oregon was supposed to play Ohio State, and let's say you had a really good Oregon team and a really good Ohio State team, <laughs> it doesn't matter now. <laughs> well, and it, it doesn't matter now for Oregon, okay? But if Oregon wins that game, then Ohio State has the loss, Oregon has the edge, and when it comes down to the playoff later in the season. And then that settles the debate right there, you know. You and we don't have we have a lack of those games because BYU they didn't get a chance to play a good team because and they had to put together this makeshift schedule. You can't blame that on them. And uh, Cincinnati, you know, American's a little down this year. You can't blame that on them. And it's just really unfortunate because. Like if, if the committee just goes off these resumes, then Georgia at nine <laughs> is going to have a much better resume <laughs> than a couple of these other teams that are trying to get the, the college football, uh, the fourth spot in the playoff as a group of five teams.
0: And you can argue Auburn at 22 has a better resume than some of these teams. Exactly. I mean, I, that's the other thing too, is how do you have Auburn who's a five and two SEC team at 22 and then Georgia who's also a five and two SEC team at number nine. I, I don't understand how the committee makes that decision. Yes. Auburn won some games they should have lost, like against Arkansas. But there's still five and two teams, and if you think of them as five and two teams in the SEC, then why aren't both those teams in the top ten? And obviously now Auburn's five, you know, five and three after they got their ass whipped by Alabama. But I, I don't know how you have Georgia and Iowa State and Oklahoma over undefeated BYU. I mean, you can even make the argument over undefeated two other undefeated teams. I mean, obviously it's going to come down to the eye test, right?
1: Yeah, the But tests, the problem it, it, is,
0: I just don't know what the, the playoff committee's eye test is.
1: Yeah, we don't know and, what that eye test looks like with them.
0: <laughs> and the thing is, too, is that you have to think, okay, what to get into it, particularly with Ohio State. So, Ohio State's a really interesting one to me, because they're sitting right now 4 um, now. They've played well. I mean, obviously, we didn't talk about it a lot. We were talking about Justin Fields to the Panthers, but I think we by having him at number 10, we've made the statement that we're saying that we don't think he's the consensus number two quarterback in this class. And if anybody who's listening, watched the Indiana game, I think you would agree. I mean, he didn't make NFL throws, you know, he wasn't playing consistently. He made a lot of mistakes and Ohio did not look great. I mean, they were up 35 to seven on Indiana and they let them come back. And I think a lot of people say, well, they weren't trying and this and that, but in my opinion, it's like Ohio state does not have the luxury to play those types of games. They need to beat everybody by at least three touchdowns, especially now that they only got two games left. No, exactly. So
1: that's why in college football, a lot of people don't understand this, especially just like casual fans and college football, it's not about winning. It's about how you win and the influence of the eye test. And with this committee this year, it's going to be all the difference because, um, you know, Ohio state, they avoided near collapse in their top 10 win over Indiana and so as a result, the committee thought they were the fourth best team right now just because that's the way they're playing. And you have a one-loss Clemson team getting the edge over them. And BYU, they've looked sensational and dominated every opponent. They get screwed at 14. How is that a consistent eye test? It's not. And that, it's really unfortunate at BYU if they don't get more looks from the committee and a little more favor from them. But that might be reality. And if that's the case, it's going to be a shame. And I, it's like because Zach Wilson, he's been sensational, and I, I, he would deserves to a see shot him. at the playoff. I would love to see him um, get a chance to go up against, uh, maybe Alabama, at number one, because it's going to be, a, it's going to look a lot like Kyler Murray trying to take down Alabama a couple years ago. And um, if they, if you know, they came back in the second half, great. And if you, they only had one, like one or two more possessions, that game could have ended differently. But they had a really bad start and that made the difference for Oklahoma that year. So, um, but that, that's the thing. So. I mean, the see. easy
0: thing to say would be Ohio state just doesn't play two more games because of COVID and they're ineligible, but yeah, it's, Ohio it,
1: state is actually an in an unprecedented, they're in an, they're in an,
0: they're in an interesting situation right now. But again, we've spent this entire year of college football, make shifting schedules, you know, rescheduling games, you know, I don't understand why Ohio State can't play some games at the end of December and they say, hey, look, we're going to move the playoff a little bit later so teams can finish off these schedules. I don't see the rush as to why the playoff needs to be played on January 1st because when it comes down to it, it's about the players. And in this situation, in this world right now, it sucks for the players because they don't have control over any of this. Zach Wilson doesn't have the authority to say, I want to go play Washington. You know, Justin Fields and Ohio State doesn't have the ability to say, hey, like, we still want to play this game because they have an issue with COVID. And for me, because of that, if I was the committee, I would be patient in figuring out who should make the playoff. I don't think there's a rush to get it done by January. We've seen teams already reschedule games in December. I don't know why they can't just move the playoff a little bit back, say, hey, look, this season has been a little bit of a, you know, figure it out on the fly. We're going to move the playoff a little farther in the future. Maybe we even expand it a little bit so we can figure out who gets in. Because I think if you don't move the playoff, you know, and push it back a little bit. So teams can, you know, fill their schedules out. We're going to end up with a situation where either two or three teams don't get in that should have deserved to be in there or, you know, they got to expand the playoff if they're going to keep it on January 1st. But again, for me, it comes down to the players and it's really unfortunate because guys like on BYU guys on Ohio state guys on Texas A&M guys on Florida guys on Cincinnati guys, even on coastal Carolina and Marshall. These are all guys who are playing for great football teams. They're putting the work in. And I think they deserve a shot. And at least the committee owes these teams at least the, you know, the courtesy to give them a shot. I mean, especially if you have a guy like BYU that's being led by a Heisman candidate. I, I don't know how you just completely disrespect that team,
1: especially this year. Can you imagine Michigan just says, screw it. We don't, we, we don't want to play Ohio State because they have, quote unquote, an outbreak. They cancel them to screw over Ohio state <laughs> and no, Ohio State's ineligible.
0: <laughs> it could happen. I mean, it, we saw it with Wisconsin. They were Wisconsin is one game away from being ineligible for the big 10 title. And obviously that doesn't matter now. Cause you know, Graham Merce's one glory game ended, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a, it's a really unfortunate situation. I mean, look, Ohio state still has some quality wins. You know, I think if they, I don't think the next two games will get canceled, but you know, when you look at it at the end of the day, you know, the big 10 also was extremely weak this year. And I think if you're looking at the eye test, like you said, you know, how does a six and Ohio state team who played for the most part, not so great big 10 teams have that much up on Cincinnati or that much up on BYU. Yes. It's Ohio state, but again, we're in a, a, t- a completely unprecedented year. And for that, I think we should make unprecedented decisions.
1: That's a great point. I mean, in 2020, every just about every other sport has been very flexible, especially when it came to the postseason, making decisions like this. And you would think the committee would give this kind of flexibility to make a get a clearer playoff picture as a result. And um, I think the committee is just dying for some upsets to happen. So there's some teams that just fall out of the playoff picture. <laughs> they're they're dying. I mean, they, they for yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> That's the thing, though. Is, is please don't like please make this super super hard for the committee so everybody can finally <laughs> say to them make the decision you boomers like seriously like they don't deserve to have Ohio State to win out they don't deserve like you could argue that the easiest situation right is Notre Dame wins out so that means Clemson's out of it and then Alabama wins out so that means you know everyone else from the SEC is out of it and Ohio State wins so that means you know everyone else is out of it then that fourth spot is pretty easy to figure out right yeah. I mean you still can argue that Cincinnati and BYU are going to get screwed, but maybe those two teams play each other. Maybe you have a team like USC go undefeated and you make the argument that USC should be there. But I think that the committee's praying that they don't have to figure out more than one spot. But <laughs> I think if we don't see the playoff expanded this year, this season's going to show that there's an obvious want and desire for it. I think both of us would agree that we're not necessarily sure it's the right decision as much as. You know, four teams is hard, and as much as every year one team's at least screwed over, we switch it to eight, and you know that in that case we're thinking probably the committee's going to go, okay, then all conference, you know, all Power Five conference teams get in, and it's like, okay, why does a shitty Pac-12 team get to get in every year? And you know, obviously we've seen so far from the Pac-12 that that division, in my opinion, should not even be considered a Power Five conference. So please, the committee—they deserve for this to be hard because they need to make it hard.
1: <laughs> Um, I mean, if, it, if it's really that hard, I just say expand to playoff because what's lacking is the number of games for a lot of these teams. Yeah. You just expand it. That fixes everything for the most part. And you're bringing more money to programs. I think that's a win. and Or at the very least, I would love to see a play-in for that four spot, like between, let's say it comes down to Cincinnati and BYU, like for real, That's those are the two best teams for the four spot let's see a group of five play in, play in Let's see that because we haven't even seen a group of five make the playoff yet. And it seems like these teams might be really deserving of that fourth spot this year, and especially Zach Wilson, BYU. I don't know how you can ignore that. And um, that being said, We got to get out of here. We spent way too much time. Uh, We just literally explained the entire playoff situation. (laughs) It's
0: confusing. Tonight's only going to make it more. (laughs)
1: And hopefully we get some clarity with the the second edition of these rankings. I don't know if that's going to happen. I can't promise anything. It's 2020. You know the drill. So uh, if they
0: don't have BYU in the top 10, though, I mean, they're clown of the week.
1: Um, yeah, they're, they're going to be Clown of the Week next week. You can bookmark that. And if they have
0: not had them in the top ten.
1: Quick shout-out to Jarrett Patterson of Buffalo, the running back there, Hey taking Maxion to a different level Saturday. 36 carries, 408 yards, and eight touchdowns. You won't see that very often.
0: <laughs> Unless <laughs> and, you're playing NCAA Road to Glory. <laughs> exactly. It's on easy mode. We've all been there, though. Come on. Everyone can admit that They've... They've made like a player that looked iced out, you know, sleeve, visor, everything, and then just went off like um, Jarrett Patterson did, you know, for 400 yards in eight touchdowns. Man should be in the Heisman race, in my opinion. He is he is getting neglected in the Heisman rankings, uh, and it's yeah. it's because he's in the MAC. But it's like again, the Heisman should be considered more on stats than anything. I know that like it's important to take into account, you know, the best player on the best team, but. How can you not put numbers up like that and not even be in the top 10 for Heisman rankings? And I've seen some people not even have them in the top 10. I don't all right, understand. All right,
1: all right, Finn, simmer down. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's recognize there's no defense in, in the Mac, So <laughs> Hey, bro,
0: come on. No one else is putting up that m- big of numbers in college football in any conference.
1: Okay, let's see how he does the rest of the Yo, we if, he, if, if Jared
0: Patterson like was on a Pac-12 team, he would do the same thing. He would at least score five touchdowns. You're telling me there's a, a great defense in the Pac-12 that could limit him to le- you know less than five touchdowns in a game? I thought Oregon, I don't see but, it.
1: I thought Oregon, but they just dropped the Civil War. They just <laughs> <So, laughs>
0: way to go, Oregon.
1: Nicely done, Oregon State. A year ahead in the rebuild over there. So we got to we
0: got to do a legacy of failure edition on the Pac-12. I think.
1: Uh, anyways, that being said, oh Jarrett Patterson also doing all of that production in the Revo speed finn's favorite helmet <laughs> ew <laughs> so. bro switch to the
0: speed flex come on bro finn immediately, Old school just, helmet.
1: Finn immediately takes it away <laughs> takes back everything you said about jared patterson being an eisman kennedy <laughs> yeah, yeah when
0: i was younger last note for the show when i was younger like really young uh, basically up until 12 i used to judge my favorite players on like their helmet and then also on their uniforms like my favorite team would always be the team that i thought had the coolest uniforms that year you know, I was always, like, a Giants fan, but then, you know, sometimes I'd be, like, a Carolina Panthers fan because I just really liked their uniforms when I was younger. I was a weird kid. You know, I had, like, a lot. <laughs> yeah, we know that.
1: <laughs> I don't think you really have to explain too much about yourself <laughs> on this show. I think they know. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, that being said, we're going to get out of here, and I um, hope you enjoyed listening to the our reactions to the College Football Playoff and my first edition uh, Post Thanksgiving of our my mock draft and hopefully Finn comes out with his soon. I don't know when that's going to be because that thing takes forever. So good luck, buddy. But um, yeah, we're going to get after finals. Out of here. <laughs> and yeah, after finals, probably <laughs> it was a good idea. And um, so yeah. Any-